Uh, all right. So before we start, um, I like to do these cute little like uh, promos. Sure. So I don't know if you listen to any of them, but basically you just say, hi, this is Mark Podolsky from thelandgeek.com, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Beer with Jeff Smith. Um, and maybe you, you, you try to sound a little bit more exciting than I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if, you get, if you get my drift. Um, okay. So hi, this is Mark Podolsky. You are listening to Vroom Vroom. Vroom Vroom Veer. With Jeff Smith. Vroom Vroom What's that? Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom 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 Veer. There you go. Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Okay. All right. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Hi, this is Mark Podolsky with thelandgeek.com, and you are on with a Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Well done, sir. Thank you. All right. I'm going to hit stop on the recorder. I'll be right back. Okay. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Eric Brotman, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great, Jeff. Thank you. Hey, uh, so you are at Brotman Financial and that's at BrotmanFinancial.com. So talk a little bit about what's exciting you in your business today just to get us well, started. Yeah, sure. We're, we're, uh, we're growing exponentially. We're a wealth management and financial planning firm. We work with families across the United States. Right. And uh, we've been adding uh, certified financial planners over the last couple of years and, and have, uh, have magnified the size and, and scope of our team. So we're, we're taking real good care of families from coast to coast and, and having a lot of fun doing it. And you guys are uh, fiduciaries, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't remember when I learned that word and what the difference is between a fiduciary and a non-fiduciary financial planner, but it's a big deal. It's a, huge it's a deal. very big deal. Yeah, yeah. The, no, a, a fiduciary has a completely different standard than a non-fiduciary, and right. and that's why all of the Department of Labor and all the all the work that's happening in Washington right now, um, which is getting all kinds of uh, of political airplay, it actually makes perfect sense. I mean, the devil's in the details with any legislation, but it, it makes sense. Uh, there's no reason anyone with any license of any kind should be rendering financial advice without uh, without having their client's best interest in, in mind. That, right. That's crazy. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, and I remember that word. It was used differently, but it came up um, a lot when I was in the Air Force in a different context. Right. Um, yeah. Because, you know, occasionally I would work, uh, you know, not as a financial guy, but like next to financial people. And they would say, yeah, we have a fiduciary responsibility in this area to be a good steward of the government's money, right? Things like that, right? <laughs> well, that, that's exactly right. And whether you're a trustee on a, on a board for a nonprofit right, or right. whether you're uh, on a board of a, a public company or whether you work in government or, or, or what have you, it, or if you're a trustee for a family, you, you have a, a sworn duty to take care of the beneficiaries or the owners of the funds. Absolutely. Right. Right. Okay. So we got off on a, a little tangent there, but it was fun, <laughs> but this is room, room beer. So we have to go back in time and start talking about your life in the highlights of, uh, of veers, right. And those transitions in your life and, and what you learned and, and how you grew. So I know you told me you wanted to talk about some veers. So, um, what are some of your Veer stories? Well, I, like I have a bunch of questions. Yeah. How, how far back do you want to hey, go? Hey, you know, I mean, it's, that's, uh, that's no, on you. We um, have an hour. Was, so um, this is your I life. An English only an hour. Oh, okay. Which most financial people aren't. So um, yeah, my, my first Veer was a veering away from law school. Okay. And it was hands down one of the, the finest career decisions I've ever made. So uh, I, I, went to, I went to University of Pennsylvania. I studied English and psychology. Um, my plan was to head to law school and do estates and trusts and, and tax work. And I took a job for a, a brokerage firm right out of school in the legal department. And within a very short period of time, realized I had fallen in love with the brokerage business 
and not with the legal side. Okay. So I saved myself three years and probably $100,000 by not going to law school. So beer number one was a huge success. <laughs> did, uh, did, now, how did, how did the family and like mom and dad and, and maybe, I don't know, significant others react to that? Were they okay with uh, it or did they freak at out? The time, at the time, there were no significant others. There were okay. certainly mom and dad. And actually, I got a tremendous amount of support um, because I, I had done enough internships and done enough – had enough work experience to decide, hey, this is something I really wanted to do. Right. So like any 22-year-old kid who, who doesn't want to be paid hourly and doesn't want a routine job, um, I took the only job at the time that I could that wasn't either uh, hourly or, uh, or, uh, or that required a book of business, and I went into the life insurance industry. Okay. Um, what could be what could be better for a 22 year old than to sell life insurance to people 50 years older than that? <laughs> How did that work out? That sounds like it. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I learned a heck of a lot. I, I, yeah. Do you, right. do you remember Michael J. Fox in the story of my success? I remember Michael J. Fox, the story of my success. Was it, well, I don't it remember the, the movie. Of my success, oh, but there the was secret. A, of, he okay, was in the mail right. room and he was dressing for the job he wanted rather than the one he had and so forth. And he okay. he, he managed to get himself into the corner office. Um, I, I saw anyone who could fog a mirror at any point in time and hustled like nobody else to, <laughs> to make a living in a very tough, very tough industry. Yeah. And, uh, my favorite story back in the day, I, I saw a, uh, there was a, a couple who I really wanted to meet with and, and hopefully do business with. And they said, the only time we can meet you is when we pick up our daughter at the mall. She works at the food court, nine 30 on a Sunday night. And I said, I'll be there. And so while the crew is putting chairs back on the uh, tables to close the mall and she's waiting for her daughter to finish up, I'm talking life insurance in a suit and tie on a Sunday night at 930 and thought, you know what, I, I'm going to be OK. I can do this. <laughs> that would impress people, you know, just because you showed. Well, yeah. And, and, and you know, half and you showed up in a suit, up, maybe and, yeah. more than half. And you showed up in a suit and tie. That's that's even more impressive. Uh, you know, I still I, I don't wear a suit and tie nearly as much as I used to, but still probably two, three days a week. Yeah. And um, it, it just I, I think you, you dress a, a certain way. You carry yourself a certain way. And um, there are days when I want to be more comfortable than others. But I'm in a tie right now, Jeff, for you. And we're on, we're on audio <laughs> and we're only. Not audio and I still wear a tie for you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. That was I'm not. I'm in basically I want to go for a walk after this podcast close. So uh, <laughs> that sounds good. I, I want to go for a walk too, but I'm going to change first. <laughs> yeah, good idea. <laughs> okay. So you veer away from what could have wasted uh, four years or more of, of your life and $100,000 because you decide you don't want to be a lawyer. Okay. And then you start selling insurance uh, at a very yep. young age. Okay. So uh, what happens next? How long do you stay working in insurance? Uh, I was in that field for five years. Okay. And um, during that time, I found that the insurance company was willing to pay towards my continuing education on almost anything. So the reason that my bio looks like a bizarre alphabet soup is because I had a, a what was essentially an education fund courtesy of the employer. Oh, that's great. So CLU, CHFC, AEP, EIEIO, at a given point, <laughs> it's all silly. But um, I did earn my certified financial planner there and wanted to do financial planning. And you couldn't. It was 1998. You right. couldn't do financial planning at a life insurance company. I'm not sure you can do it real well now, but you definitely couldn't do it then. Right. In fact, I, I worked for a company. I, I'm not going to name them to disparage, but nonetheless, I worked for a company where the broker dealer, so help me, Jeff, was one employee. One. <laughs> Her name was Nancy. And when Nancy went to lunch, the broker dealer was closed. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, you, you know, it was ridiculous to think that, that I was going to do planning there. So my next veer was to get into the financial planning space. And I, I had to change uh, environments and firms to do that. Sure. So was that move to like uh, your own business or was that another job situation? Um, it was a little of both, actually. I, okay. I, I, met, um, I met a guy who was about 10 years older than I was and was getting ready to break away and start on his own. And he had the venture capital. He had the money to do it. What oh, he wow. didn't have was any more time. Okay. And I had all the time in the world. You know, I was in my late twenties. I, I didn't have. Uh, I wasn't married. Didn't have a child or anything like that. And and so I said, well, listen, if you're the venture capital and I'm the sweat equity, we've got a partnership. 
And so we started a firm together and we spent four years growing that firm um, into a into a pretty good juggernaut. Now, we, we opened that firm March 25th of 2000. Okay. So if you'll recall, March, I'm sorry, March 29th of 2000. If you'll recall on March 25th of that year, that was when the tech bubble peaked. Right. Okay. So we started a firm. We did pro formas. We hired people. We took space. We knew exactly what was going to happen. And four days later, the tech bubble burst. Yeah. And the S&P went to, to hell in a handbasket. Right. And all of our performers were literally out the window before a week had gone by. Yikes. Not which a- was an incredible experience. <laughs> so is that, was that the, uh, what do they call that? The dot-com burst, bubble bursting? Oh, yeah. Okay. That was you. the, the dot-bomb, if you will. That the dot-bomb. Hedge.com <laughs> should not have been worth what it was worth. But, uh, but yeah. that's what happened. And the S&P, you know, people buy index funds a lot thinking that they own diverse bundle of securities. But the S&P was... 30 plus percent tech at that time, because that's where all the growth was. That's where all the the, the value was. Yeah. So folks who thought they were holding a nice passive bundle of blended securities weren't. They were actually very tech heavy and they got clobbered. Mm. Yikes. So that not a great start. (laughs) Well, great in the sense, great in the sense that, boy, we, we, we really learned a lot. (laughs) We learned how to do it. Right. And and those lessons actually paid off later in 2008 when we went through the the recession and the, uh, and the credit crisis and everything else. Yeah. Um, But um, the, the firm I was with merged with another firm in 2003 and we were running silo practices. I had a practice, he had a practice and we merged with another company and the company decided we're only going to work with folks over a certain amount of assets. We're going to we're going to cut clients who are not who don't have large accounts functionally. OK. And um, most of the clients I represented were up and course. They were younger. They were growing their wealth. They were um, doing all the right things, but weren't by any stretch high net worth, wealthy people. Right. Okay. And I said to these folks, I said, you guys are going to do great. There's no question, but it's not the right spot for me. And so we took what could have been a divorce and turned it into a graduation. And the All next right. big veer was I said, look, rather than have us part ways um, uh, you know, or have me sort of die on the vine in this environment, which makes no sense, I said, I'll go out. I'll start my own shop. I'll buy out your interest in our mutual clients. And oh, by the way, if people are approaching your firm and they don't hit your minimums, you'll have a place to send them, mm. and we can we can share some revenue and and be sort of sister firms for a while, yeah, if and you vice will. versa kind of thing. And so, they said, yeah. "That's great, let's do it." Yeah, yeah. And so I was able to launch a company. I, I incorporated on Halloween because that's when all big decisions are made. <laughs> uh, on Halloween 2003, Brotman Financial Group was born. We'll be celebrating 15 years this year. Congratulations! It was me, one full time and one part time employee. Uh, I think we had about $8 million in client assets under management. And, um, and and we started with, I borrowed money from everywhere. Jeff, I borrowed money from my house, from my mother's house, from credit cards, from life insurance policies. If if, if it existed, I borrowed money to start a company. Right. <laughs> Maxing out um, credit cards. I love it. <laughs> I maxed everything. Scared me to death. And let me tell you, borrowing from my mother was the scariest part. Of course. Because even though her interest rate was more favorable than Visa's, I paid mom back first because if there's any place you have to keep a good line of credit, it's with mom. Of course. Good so, idea. Uh, but no, I, I borrowed from everywhere and said, this is either going to be great or I'm done. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll right. Yes. This is either going to be the best thing ever or I'm going to crash and burn and then I'll have to go get another job. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to have to go not, not only get another job, but I'll, I'll functionally – be, be on the verge of either bankruptcy right. or destitution, whichever comes first. And, right, right. Um, it was a pretty scary time, but a very exciting one. I remember being in a, a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans on on October 31, waiting for furniture to be delivered and thinking, what What have I done? Oh, my gosh, what did I do? I bet the farm but, on um, this whole deal. It's been great. It's been a, a total home run. We're, we're now 14 full-time people, wow. uh, seven financial advisors, seven support people. We manage close to $300 million for about 300 families in 25 states. Wow. And it's been wow. exponential. It's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. My goodness. So, you know what? Before we before we get on to the next veer, if, if there's more veers to talk about, I, I hope there are. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to back up a little bit because what when uh, when the bubble burst. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and what I think I learned the lesson of what to do when a bubble bursts mm-hmm. um, and I'm and I'm invested in now my value is way down. 
Um, you remember the movie It's a Wonderful Life? I do. And 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 what Mr. Potter and George did when when there was a bank run? They didn't do anything. Uh, well, yeah, Pot- Potter nothing. Potter was buying, <laughs> right? <laughs> George just yeah. kind of like survived, right? So that's that was like, I think I learned that that's sort of like in when when money turns like that. First thing to know is don't panic. It's temporary, and it might be an opportunity to buy things. <laughs> well, if, like a- if you're in that position, anyway. There's only three kinds of people. In a market like that, there's only three actions to take. You can be a buyer, a holder, or a seller. Right, right, exactly. Functionally. And when 2008 hit, and 2000 wasn't as big a deal, frankly, as 2008. 2008 right. was yeah. wide sweeping. It hit everything at once. Yeah. There were like two asset classes that did okay in 08, and everything else got crushed at the same time, Right, which right. was pretty unprecedented. But yeah. um, in 2008, those people who were buyers – Mm-hmm. saw what was functionally the greatest opportunity of their lives. For sure. For young people, for people who put money in their 401ks every check or who were putting money away every month in whatever plans they were, those who stayed the course bought at an incredible sale. Yeah, it was a huge discount. And I kept yep. thinking to myself, if there's a sale at Macy's on towels, there could be a line around the block. But if there's a sale on Wall Street, people think something's defective. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's... I think there's like something fundamentally like scary about just seeing that value number go down so greatly. It's like just it just hits this emotional thing inside of us and people just panic. Well, know? if if you're for those people who were sellers yeah. and who didn't position themselves right, they'll never recover. Right. Holders recovered, but it wasted six or seven years of their financial lives. Right. Right. Um, buyers had a huge home run. Um, yeah. And that's why in preparing for the next uh, the next market downturn, which uh, I'm no soothsayer and I'm certainly no doomsayer, but it's inevitable. It's inevitable. We're going to go they through something come. again. Right. And it's a matter of when and, and for how long it's and how steeply. If. Right. Um, what we're trying to make sure people know how to do is to segregate their assets. Oh, for sure. Yes. Segregate their assets so they have a bucket that's long term that they don't have to touch or even that they're going to keep feeding. But they also, especially if they're living on their money. They have a, a piece of their portfolio that is structured to provide them with anywhere from five to 10 years worth of income, regardless of what the markets do. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, good idea. Because if the markets go down, it'll look bad on the statement. People are going to be unhappy. But when you remind them that you don't care for the next nine years, 11 months, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's when we have to worry about it. It's like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can suck that up because if, if we got through 08 that way, I dare say we can get through anything, or if it's dramatically worse than 08, uh, currency may not matter, Jeff. We, we might be trading bananas for coconuts again in no time. <laughs> yeah, you know, when people start start zooming in on that, you know, like buy gold, you know, and, and they're like, the dollar is going to be going away. You know, it, you know, if you step back and say to yourself, if the dollar goes away, if, if this seriously, if the dollar goes away, that means there's something fundamentally wrong with the United States. You've got bigger problems on your hands. <laughs> much, much bigger. You need I to mean, be like looking for guns, probably. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That, that is that is that is the Walking Dead waiting. To right. Happen. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You got much bigger problems on your hands. So that's why. Well, I, and we remember we thought that that could happen at Y2K. Oh, I was if there. If you recall, yeah. I don't I know do. how old a guy you are, but if yeah, you recall yeah. Y2K, there was a thought that the grid would go down and we wouldn't have power and planes would be grounded, grounded and, right. and bank ATMs wouldn't function and all like it was going to be a, an apocalyptic event Y2K, right. if you recall. Yes, I, I I was there. I lived through it. I was actually still active duty Air Force and uh, you know, you know that Prince song, Party Like It's 1999. It was 1999 and I was on standby to go to work because of Y2K. So I didn't yeah. even have a drink. <laughs> I drank for both of us, Jeff. Thank I, you. <laughs> I, um, I think I drank enough for three of us that night. I was bummed. Uh, on, the, on the plus side, though, because of Y2K, I got a free all-expense-paid all trip from Japan to uh, Osan Air Base, Korea. Okay. Um, and that was fun because all I had to do was me and another guy from the office – we were official classified couriers, so that meant there had to be two of us, and we had this double-wrapped 
uh, four millimeter tape with a software update that was Y2K survivable, compatible, whatever for this, you know, wow. mission system, mission critical system. Well, you know, neither one of us were really computer guys. We were just carrying the tape, <laughs> right? So we show up yeah, to well. the site, right? And we and we go, here's your tape, you know? And they're like, oh, you're going to come in and install it? Oh, no, no, no. Our flight leaves Monday. <laughs> so we right. had- no, we're here to play for the weekend. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was awesome. It wasn't, it was months before Y2K, but you know, hey, free trip is always fun. Yeah, yeah, to anywhere, just about. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I so now you are in your in your story. You are now running Brotman Financial Group. Okay, so yeah. any serious veers after you start the business? I know it's booming and and you're and you're successful, but what did you have? Kind of a rocky start, or I mean, outside um, the fact that you had you had to survive the. Uh, the, the, the Dow going crazy or the, the, sure. the dot-com bubble bursting? Well, I, I wouldn't even say it was a rocky start. I, I would say that um, we had a pretty smooth sale. And even in 2008, um, we were, because we were in front of, uh, uh, of folks and not burying our heads in the sand like Ostrich Financial, um, we, were, <laughs> we were gathering a lot of assets and, and we actually grew our clientele in 08, 09. Um, but nonetheless, the big veer for me was when I decided not to be a hundred percent owner of the firm okay. and to put in a succession plan while I was still in my thirties, Oh, nice. which people thought I was nuts. Right. I mean, if you're a farmer and you're growing watermelons, you don't want to sell them while they're not fully sized because you sell them per pound. You want to wait till they're full size to sell. Right. Okay. But I had some young people working with me who, if, if we didn't find a way to, to create partnerships and to bring them into the stockholding. I think I would have lost them to do kind of what I did. Mm, and so I decided to start selling company stock in my 30s, which oh, was wow. really for our industry and for a lot of businesses, totally unheard of. Mm. Um, and that's been, a, that's been a great thing because I have terrific partners and folks who uh, I know will not only take care of me, but will take care of my family if something happens to me and vice versa and will take care of all of our clients. Mm. And so, you know, our, when you're a small firm, you know, you're not a big wirehouse. Your clients ask questions that are pointed like, well, what happens? You know, we talk about what happens if I kiss the bus. What if you kiss the bus? Um, and I'm glad to say the answer is, well, I don't play we have partners. that much. But if I did, you wouldn't miss a beat. Nothing would change in my absence. Yeah. I said you'd miss my, my, my sparkling personality, but nothing changes in terms of your financial wherewithal. Right, right. Good for you. So, so uh, that started um, in 2015. We actually uh, merged with and functionally bought a company in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're in Baltimore. Bought a company out in Cincinnati and moved the principal here. She's now in, in uh, Towson uh, nearby. And you know we grew by acquisition. And now we've just added another senior person from another uh, nearby firm. And we're growing. So now we're growing by acquisition and taking on partners as well, which has been a whole lot of fun. Um, my next big veer is in my job title. Okay. And or my job responsibility, and I know it's coming, and I'm nervous about it. So you can talk me through it like a good therapist. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're here, right? This is this show is therapy for everybody. <laughs> You're saying this is this is actually an intervention. A little um, bit. That's, yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> uh, no, my, my the the next two things that need to happen here are big things. Okay. Um, one of them is we have to rebrand the firm. Okay. There, there's no question we have to get my name off the door because it's no longer my practice. It's a, a big, thriving financial company. Right. Uh, and so we have to go through the exercise of trying to find something that's not A, taken, B, trademarked, and C, cliche as hell. Yeah, yeah, right. And I don't want to just slap a bunch of names on the door to sound like a law firm because then every time a partner comes or goes, you have to change the name again. Yeah. So is it, do you want to do a whole branding thing or do you want to just do like a, just rename? Oh, I think a full branding. I think campaign, I think a full campaign and a full um, a brand change that's going to be a name. It's going to be uh, a name, a look, a logo, and sort of the language yeah. of the company, which doesn't have to change a whole lot, Yeah. but needs to be more than just me. I know guys. Um, so. I mean, I, here I have, I finally have my name on a building, Jeff, and I got to take it off. <laughs> Oh, I get it. No, I, I went through that, well, in a much smaller scale, but I, I did a branding engagement for this show. So I know, okay. I know branding guys, so I can, I can, uh, I'll email you those guys and you know, you know, you don't have to go with them, but, uh, they're amazing. So I did, okay. I paid for like a, uh, 
I want to say it was a six or eight week branding engagement and, and this show came out. So that's where, yeah, I know. I thought it was, uh, it was fun because it was a lot like what you're talking about. It's very therapy, therapy like, you know, because it's like just sitting on doing what we're doing right now without recording it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then, and then at the end, you know, I said something and they're like, ah, that's it. That's the show. You know, so wait, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're recording this. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know I get that a lot. So that's, that's veer number one. And you, you've got some branding guys. That'll be helpful. Let let me tell you about veer number two. And then, then you can really, uh, then you can really help it. Uh, in order to grow the company, we need to divide some of our some of our roles between those who do business development and those who do, who do client retention and client service. And it is clear that uh, my highest and best use for the greater good of the company is to be uh, out doing some of the media relations and PR and, and marketing type right work now. and growing the firm because we have a tremendous number of very talented people here who do great work and we collaborate together. But we need folks to not only be comfortable um, working with a team environment, but also working with a team that may not have me in the room. Right. And that's a a real interesting thing with something this sensitive. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, and what you're what you're looking at is is you want to make basically have your role work on the business instead of in it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those transitions. I I, I have to be a CEO. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, you have to be the evangelical evangelical guy out there, basically selling the business. That's exactly right. And frankly, <laughs> that's what I love to do anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I, I believe in fun. what we're doing. We have yeah. phenomenal people here, and so I, I I trust any which one of them at all times. And so, as long as we're hiring well and we're training properly, I mean, we're not turning young people loose on the public like I was as an insurance guy at twenty two. Right. <laughs> um, that is not happening here. I mean, that, that is frankly, it's doing a disservice to the public, even though I, I certainly did my best. Right. How could I possibly know very much about what I was doing? Well, I mean, you're getting paid well. But other than that, yeah, you're right. You don't have the life experience required at that moment in your life. Well, and other than thinking I was a terrific guy who reminded them of their grandson, who in their <laughs> mind is, is, is taking a complex financial world and some complex financial decisions and trusting somebody who just their student loan payment. Right. It doesn't make sense. No, you're right. You're right. So let's talk a little bit about because, None whatsoever. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of retirement has, has shifted fundamentally, right? I mean, I retired and, and you can't even use that word without thinking air quotes, right? <laughs> In your mind. But when I retired yeah. from the air force, when I was 38, that was 10 years ago. So, And I've been doing like this kind of like ramp down of, you know, first I did a couple of, you know, jobs that paid way too much for what I was doing. And that was great. And then I screwed around and went to college. And then I've kind of settled into this thing where I'm like, have you ever heard of the book uh, Vagabonding? I have not. Okay. So Vagabonding is sort of like traveling for your life, right? And then, and then working occasionally to fund that travel. That's, ah, that's vagabonding, okay. <laughs> vagabonding in a nutshell. And that's kind of where I've landed in, in sort of like, I don't really want to do business, you know, cause that's a lot mm-hmm. of work and you know, you've done it. Right? I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're, so you're nomadic. I like being nomadic. Yeah. I was, uh, uh-huh. you know, being in the air force 20 years, you know, we moved a lot and my wife is, you know, she likes to travel even more than I do. So okay. we kind of want to just stay on the move, you know, and, and work as needed, you know? So that's, that's sort of like how my semi-retirement retirement is going to sort of take shape. It's like a lot of temp IT work, you know, when I get around to it, <laughs> you know, and that you're, works for you're me. You're clearly onto something. Yo, of course. Yeah. You're onto something. Right. <laughs> right. But you know what? I like your term of you're saying like, you're graduating into retirement because the whole like, concept of retirement is different now because it used to be you work until you're 65 or 62 and a half or whatever. And you've got this big pile of money and then you move to Florida, you know, or something like that. And it's, it's different now. Uh, it's 
not only different, it's better. Um, okay. and, and the boomers are driving this and thank goodness. Yeah. I, I, you know, I never thought I'd be so happy to, to, that the boomers were, were influencing something as I am right now. And, and what that is, is for many generations, the idea of retirement was sort of being put out to pasture. Right. I mean, think about retirement. The, the word means to disappear or, or retreat or withdraw. Right. Well, who in the hell wants to do that? If you're, if you're working 50 or 60 hours a week and you identify who you are based on what you do, I mean, somebody asks you, you know, who are you? Most people, first thing they're going to say is, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I'm a banker. Right. Um, before you get to all the other, frankly, more important roles in your life. So uh, I, I think this idea, we tie so much of our identities to our work, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And crossword puzzles and, and shuffleboard and Oprah are not enough to keep you sharp and engaged not in even, life. Not even close. It's, it's just all, not enough. Yeah, you're right. So what I, what I think is, I, I think we should stop looking at retirement as the end of usefulness, the end of pro- productivity. It can be the end of working for money. That's fine. If you're financially independent, there's no reason to have, quote unquote, a job. Right. But if you're in a position where you're ready for a transition, make it a graduation. Make it Jeff 2.0. Yes. Or in your case, 3.0. I guess yes. you're already there. But <laughs> you know, why, why accept this disappearing act? People who don't have a reason to get out of bed eventually stop getting out of bed, and they don't live very long. Right. No, they're just bored. Especially. Well, I, and can you imagine? I mean, I get a sabbatical. Oh, I could have all kinds of fun for three months. Yeah. But for 30 years? I don't have to imagine. I what tried it. <laughs> I was bored silly. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I take a month every summer. I, I, I now, I mean, I, when I Good started the you. company, I went nine years without a week off. Now I take a month off every yeah. summer because uh, if my daughter's on summer vacation, I try to be at least for part of it. And it is great. It recharges the batteries. It, it yeah. gets me feeling excited about the next year and all those kinds of things. But I couldn't live that way round the clock. I, I, there'd be no reason to get out of bed. It makes no sense. Right. You know, and I, I realize too, especially, you know, if you're like, if you're not age appropriate for screwing around, you don't have a lot of company. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> if that makes you, sense, you know. Well, it makes sense. You're, you're 48 years old and you're either going to hang out with people 23 or 68. Your choice. Right. right. <laughs> you figured it out. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I hope you went 23 and not 68. 23 will keep you real busy and I, real, real active. You know what? It's funny because uh, I'm the job that I'm working right now is uh, on the Air Force Base in here in Vegas. So okay. the the large majority of the people they hired to do the job are probably like 50 plus. You know, some some folks in their 60s. Um, you know, there's there's a couple in their 50s. I'm in my you know late 40s. So the, mm-hmm. the team of contractors that they hired, all, you know, middle age plus, right? And then the people that we're working with are in their 20s. <laughs> uh-huh. It's pretty fun. You know, it's, it's neat. Yeah, I like that. Well, it'll keep, it'll keep you young, but you have, to, you have to be very careful with popular, you know, pop references because they won't get them. No, that's true. You, know, if you, walk into a, you walk into a young person's office and it's a mess and you say, my gosh, you're going to find Hoffa in here. They won't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's, it's funny because this, uh, we, we have this uh, guy, uh, Airman Pling. Uh, he, uh, he's, I think, 24 and uh, and I'm constantly having to explain all of our references, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which is fun because then you know, and then then we'll we'll switch the conversation to something that is more relevant to his life. We can talk about sure. The Walking Dead, and he's upset that Glenn was was died. You know, so well, anyway. we all we all were. Yeah, you know, none of us wanted to see that. Happen. No, no, you know, I think if they could have gotten around it, they would have. But now that we're on the uh, on the topic of millennials, sort of. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, what what you're talking to the millennial crowd about, and in, 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 insofar as like the jobs that they're choosing, because that seems sure. like you know obviously they're not thinking about retirement, but they should be thinking about their long term prospects and uh, and planning ahead, right? I think when we use the word retirement with a millennial, we're, we're pushing them away um, right. because I think millennials, this generation is unlikely to ever retire in the sense that their great grandparents would remember. Right. Um, yeah, but that be. said, I, for, for millennials, I, I think, first of all, 
they're a disparaged group and a little unfairly. They actually are um, uh, going to change the world in a lot of uh, important ways. Oh, yeah. You're right. I do think that it's a good time to start making some good habits. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to start living on a percentage of your income that's less than 100. <laughs> yes. Or and preferably more less like, than like 85. Right. Well, um, I would I say it's like, a good time to start figuring out where to where to get some tax shelters and put some money away. Yeah. For it's sure. a good time to pay down or get rid of debt. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think one of the challenges millennials face is that we still in this country have a very strong tie between both health insurance and retirement plans and our employers. Right, right. And millennials yeah. change jobs like people change outfits. Right. And so right. as a result, they never vest in anything. Right. And they wind up leaving an enormous amount of money on the table when they change jobs. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true. You know, I know like it's almost I don't know what it what the the vesting period for 401k's are now, but it's usually like like at least a year, right? Oh, Depending in most cases, it's five years or more. Wow, I mean, okay. you can participate after a year, right? But and the money that you put your, in you're is not always get yours, your matching, plus right. or minus any growth or, or devaluation. But right. the money that your employer puts in on your behalf doesn't. I mean, you, you could be there four years and still not keep it. Yeah, they take it back. Yeah, that and it actually goes to the other plan participants. That I uh, that happened to me uh, when I um, I I took a better paying job. So in the end, I was getting way more money, so it didn't really bother me that much. <laughs> but the Fair. yeah, so I think it was I my start date was like a month sooner than the when the the four hundred one k was going to vest, and I was going to get my matching funds, and I was like, oh well, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, one paycheck would was going to cover it, so it didn't bother me that much. But I know what you're talking about, and then the well, next it, company. Yeah. They're, um, they, they vested immediately, but their matching wasn't as good. So, you know, at least they vested immediately though. So, that well, that is good. No, there, right. there's, I, I think there's no such thing as a free lunch and none of them are panaceas, but there's a lot of folks who leave either available employee benefits, um, or, or prior employee benefits on the table. Okay. Either they don't know about them or they don't utilize them properly. Or when they, when they leave, they're allowed to take them with them and don't. Right. And um, I, I think in, in this yo-yo economy, and this is the millennials, if, you know, back in the day, there was a three-legged stool. You remember the three-legged stool when people talked about retirement, where one was government, and that was Social Security typically, and one was employer, and that was your pension, and then one was personal savings. Right. Okay. And so for your parents and mine, the idea of retirement was called the three-legged stool. Okay. And today, you know, Social Security is questionable at best and pensions are mostly disappearing except for government uh, work. And so it's really now millennials, instead of a stool, they have a yo-yo, which stands for you're on your own. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Wow. You're right. Yikes. This is every man and woman for themselves today. And, um, and while it's great to be a free agent, you also have to understand that your negotiating power is a, is a bell curve. You know, you don't have a lot of negotiation power when you're 25, but you also don't have as much when you're 55 or 60 as you used to. Yeah. You know, and so while experience is incredibly valuable, you got to use those years. I would say the 40s and 50s are your peak earning years. And it feels like that's the time to really make hay because it, it does decline. Your ability to do it can decline. Not always, but it can. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, and I've already noticed that, you know, especially... You know, I don't want to call it ageism, but uh, it just depends on this, the type of job that you're looked at for when you're, you know, 40 plus is a lot different, you know, especially when you get out of that, you know, I just retired from the military kind of glow. <laughs> right. Everybody wants to hire you immediately. Right. But they, they only want to keep you around for three years and then and then and then you're, they're done with you anyway. Well, well, oh, it's, woe is it's, me. it's definitely a challenge. Well, you know, I walked away from it with a, uh, and went to college. So it was, it was okay with me. Okay. So now I, I can't figure out from your one sheet, whether or not you're an advocate of buying a home or not. <laughs> Cause that's good. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like to, to, to have any rules of thumb. Okay, good, good. Um, I, I, for the right person, it's a great thing to do. And for the wrong person, it's a disaster. <clears throat> okay. I think that the folks who should buy homes are folks who are 
rooted in a community who are likely to stay rooted in a community. Yeah. I mean, if your parents and extended family are all within the same zip code or within a small area, and this is home and this is where you're going to be, that's one thing. Or if you own a company or you are in a in a position working for a specific county or what have you, yeah. that's fine. But right now, in order to move up, a lot of times you have to move out. And especially so millennials, yeah. you know, one year they're in Dallas and the next year they're in Anaheim. And it's I, I think you don't want to buy a home if you're going to be moving around. Because the relocation packages just aren't that—that that just doesn't exist for most uh, most newer folks. Right. So uh, I caution people against putting roots down because of the idea that a mortgage payment is somehow the same as a rent payment. It's not. Not even close. Um, and <laughs> buying a house is a terrible investment. Yes. It's great psychologically. Okay. It is not a good investment. No. Buying real estate, real estate, is a great investment yeah. if you don't live in it. <laughs> Well said. Yes, I concur. And and I think it, it's also personality too. I don't know what, what your, what your thoughts on that are either, but, uh, I heard somebody say, you know, yay. Uh, uh if you're, if you're planning on being a, a nomadic type of person and or moving for work, then probably renting's a better idea. Um, but also even if you are rooted, but you don't say like fixing things around the house so much, um, you're, you're, probably going to spend more money um, paying people to come out and, you know, fix your toilet and in your fridge and all these things that go into owning a house are going to cost you more in the long run, probably. It'll always cost you more to buy. Right. And the idea of redoing kitchens and bathrooms because you're going to get some of it back is is nutty. I mean, we all do it. People <laughs> who own homes do it. Yeah. But it, it's not a good investment. I no. mean, it's um, it's a lifestyle choice in the same way that a car is never a good investment. And, and you could drive the least expensive car possible and it'll get you from A to B. Or you can get a nicer car because you feel like it, recognizing that you're throwing some money away, but it makes you feel good. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't I think we should look down on folks who do that. But, but I also think anyone who buys a home thinking, boy, this is a starter home. And in three years, I'm going to sell it and make a bunch make of money, money on it and go yeah. buy a bigger one. Yeah. Um, that Kool-Aid, thankfully, has been dumped down the drain. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, I, you know, I did spend some time on your website, and, uh, and you're big on financial literacy. And I actually learned quite a bit, you know, some things that I right. hadn't even thought about, um, especially like in uh, – I'm not there yet, but I'm going to go back to your site and maybe, you know, do more research because you talked a little bit about, um, you know, when – the order in which you use your retirement accounts, right? Yeah. It's not, yep. it, they're not all the same. And that was like kind of an aha moment. I'm like, Oh, I should take notes. Not for now. I don't need it now, but down the road, that's important. So talk a little bit about, uh, financial literacy and, uh, and how you participate in educating your clients and, and others. Um, financial literacy to me, uh, it's, it's the illiteracy of our population in yeah. financial matters is significant. And, right. um, one of the things we've tried to do, I say, we, I, I serve on the advisory council for the comptroller of Maryland, and we are wow. trying to push, uh, financial literacy education standards in Maryland public schools and oh, private schools with the idea that kids are coming out of school. They can name the nine planets in order, uh, or eight, I guess, depending who you ask, but they can't balance <laughs> a checkbook. Right. And there are just certain life skills that seem necessary that we're skipping because we, we are educating kids to, to pass a standardized test instead of to learn how to adult. Right. And co college is just as guilty. I mean, I went through four years of college, and if it weren't for the fact that I was interested in this, I could have completely avoided numbers other, mm. than, other than was it 101 or 201, and I had to show up that day. Um, th there, it is, it is um, inconceivable for most people to manage their financial affairs without some form of help, and the amount of education you can get is woefully inadequate. So um, we are, uh, we're volunteers with Junior Achievement, which is a, a big nonprofit that helps bring not only financial literacy, but also some business literacy and some career uh, counseling to young people um, at, the, uh, at the middle and high school level primarily. That's been a whole lot of fun. Um, trying to get the financial literacy curriculum to happen has been very tough because we're we're running into issues about legislating curriculum and issues around uh, teachers unions and all kinds of things that are beyond the scope of what we thought was, hey, it's universally a good idea. Mm. Um, in terms of our clients, we, we try to make sure that we're educating each one so that not only can they um, understand what they're doing and why we're suggesting, but that they could articulate it. 
mm. so that right. they could they could tell someone else this is what I'm doing and here's why I'm doing it. Right. Oh, um, yeah, and it's great. not necessarily that everybody wants to know how the watch works. Some people just say, hey, what time is it? And that's fine. Right. But if they want to know how the watch works, we, we want to take the time to teach them because it's an important skill. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the, the, to me, one of the biggest issues, I mean, couples only fight about two things regularly, right? Married couples or even non-married couples who are together, they fight about kids and money. Right. <laughs> and one of the reasons that, and, and sometimes at the same time, but one of the reasons couples fight so much about money is because they both learned lessons about money, many of them wrong, from their own parents. And if you have one spender and one saver in the household, you can expect some conflict. Oh, yeah. But at least there's a saver. If you have two <laughs> savers, you'll have a pile of money and you'll be eating ramen noodles. Right. And if you have two spenders, you'll be living on, on you know, hanging from a credit line. Right. So – and that's oversimplified, of course, but no, the yeah, idea is true, people though. fight about kids and money, and the right. more you can educate a couple, and not, um, you know, I, we certainly aren't aren't mediating conversations. I'm not a therapist or a lawyer, but we're we're shepherding conversations between couples so that they can freely speak about the things that are important to them about money. Yeah, you know, and and people don't talk about it. I, I've had people sit in my office the first time I've ever met them. And we're going through some basic information. Oh, you live on 123 Main Street, yada, yada. How long do you plan to stay in the house? And the husband will say, forever. And the wife will say, ah, six to 12 months. Whoa. <laughs> and I look at the husband and I say, first of all, you're going to need some boxes because you're not in charge. And, and second of all, you guys should have talked about this. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. Sure. Happen, happens all the time. Yikes. Wow. And, and the skill of building money. The skill of building wealth is actually quite simple. It's time value of money. It's, it's, it's a math problem. I add $1,000 a month to an account and it earns X percent and this is what it becomes. That is a very simple thing. It can be handled by a calculator, by a computer, and by pretty much any American who's savvy enough to, to open an account in the first place. Right, right, but right. But the idea of where is the money going to come from, how is it going to be taxed, how is it going to impact my lifestyle, how is it going to impact my heirs, mm. um, how is it going to impact – uh, my other benefits and other things, that is a much different conversation. Uh, right. And that's why right. I think the, the, the value of wealth management and financial planning a lot of times is a deferred value. Mm. Because when you're 40, most of what we're doing is building blocks. It's not terribly difficult. When you're 60, it's terribly difficult, candidly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, really, it, it should be starting back with the, when you're in your 20s, right? I mean, I... I <clears throat> I, those folks are not even thinking about it yet, but you know, if you're teaching, you know, like the financial literacy part, do you start with like, okay, let's talk about debt reduction and figuring out how you can first, you know, reduce debt and then maybe like start keeping a little bit for later. Is that no question? <laughs> right. No question. And, and for people and for people who don't want to pay a financial advisor, software can do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you drop $60 on Quicken and you can do a debt reduction plan and it'll help you order your debts and figure out it'll print payment coupons for you. Oh, wow. I mean, it, this doesn't require a, a master's degree. It just requires some discipline. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, but I look and one of the one of the things that's valuable about, about folks who do what we do is in the same way, the value of a personal trainer at the gym. Right. We all know who, how to do push ups. But if somebody's not yelling at me to give them 20, I might not. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, you're true. That's so true. You know, I, I got lucky, you know, um, I can't remember. Um, well, let me see. Cause up until, uh, I had this discussion with another staff sergeant. So I thought I was doing well in my twenties, um, by, and, and all I was doing was basically maxing out my IRAs all year or every year. And I thought, oh, that's about what, what I need to do. Right. And, uh, and the guy's like, no, 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 no. You, you're making way more money than that. You should be saving a lot, a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Is especially now because, you know, I'm talking to him and, uh, and we were both in, uh, Saudi Arabia. Right. So mm -hmm. when you're when you're active duty military and you're in like a deployment situation, you can save almost all your money. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, 
huge opportunity. He's like, you should be banking all of this money that you're making. I'm like, ah, oh, you're right. So he was the one that made, gave me the wake up call. And then when I got back from that deployment, I was like, had this very serious discussion with my wife and she's like, what are you talking about? I'm already saving all this money. <laughs> right. Well, she already knew. She was already doing it. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was well, kind of funny. You, at least you realize that she's the boss. That, that, oh, that in sure. and of itself is, is most of the battle. You know, and that was the thing was um, she was the saver and I was the spender and she reformed me. So thank God. Well, and the best, the best way to do that is for her to take the money and give you an allowance. That's exactly what she did. That's exactly <laughs> what she did. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, it, it sounds ridiculous. But if she says, listen, mister, you have $200 a week. You can blow on whatever you want. Right. Everything else is mine and I'm going to handle the bills. Yeah. And you say, okay, boss, you, yeah. win, you win. Wow. Man, 200 a week. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever the math no, is, I whatever know. she allows you. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, it's funny because I tell people this, like she'll, uh, she like goes through my wallet every day, you know, and mostly <laughs> what she's doing is she's looking for credit card receipts, but she'll ah. also, yeah. And then, and then, you know, what was this? And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, or something like that. But it's usually like $6 for Burger King or something. Um, but she'll also like find cash in there. Right. She'll be like, okay, can I, there's $20. I'm thinking this is because you guys got pizza and then you collected some cash because you use your credit card. I'm like, yes. And she's like, can I have the cash please? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, well, Hey, funny. My, my, yeah, no, 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 go ahead. I was going to say my, my, my wife, my wife uh, doesn't work outside of the home and periodically she is able to hit an ATM and I'm not. So on a, fairly regular basis, I'll say, Hey, do you have, do you have $20 or $40? I need a little bit of cash. And my daughter is witnessing this and thinks I'm constantly stealing her mother's money. <laughs> and I want so badly to say, do you have any idea how it got there in the first place? But I know better. Right. Right. <laughs> That's mom's money because it was in her purse, right? <laughs> well, what's mine is hers and what hers is hers. That's exactly. how that works. There is no your money. It's her money and mm -hmm. our money. Yes, I, I get that. I'm living under the same regime. Okay, so hey, uh, I ha we have to we have to wrap because you've got a hard quit. So thank you. This has been a blast. You are Eric Brotman, and uh, you are at BrotmanFinancial.com. I will give you the last word. And uh, again, thanks for being here. I had a blast. Oh, I had a blast too, and thank you for having me. We are in the process of publishing uh, an ebook online, a free ebook. Um, that can be found at uh, www.lowtaxbook.com, okay. which is four sensible strategies for paying less in income taxes that almost every American can use. Uh, it's going live in the next couple of days, so check it out at lowtaxbook.com or visit our website at brotmanfinancial.com uh, or find us online. Love to chat with you. Thank you, Eric. This has been a blast. Thank you, Jeff. Be well. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double -E E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.